Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Health Tech Podcast. My name's James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Tim Rogers, who is a sports psychiatrist and clinical director at Big White Wall, which is a mental health technology startup. Before I go into detail about Tim and our podcast, quick reminder from us at HS that our accelerated program is now 0% equity and no program fee. So if you are a health tech startup looking to do a seed round or series A, a million pounds plus, join our program. We can help you with your raise, with your traction, with your product market fit and getting you more customers in health tech. So on to my guest. So Tim is, as I said, a sports psychiatrist and he's worked with athletes from sports like football, snooker, rugby, you name it all sorts of different stuff and mainly working with them to address their mental health challenges what might be holding them back as athletes but actually keeping them healthy from a mental health perspective holistically too so as i say he's worked with people in lots of different sports at lots of different levels and you know i learned quite a lot about how the pressures on athletes are incredible both to get to a certain level to stay at a certain level and you know even the people below the elite that are looking to break into that even you know youth teams and people that are young and and tim talks a lot about identity and how that all fits in which is super fascinating and then he talks about how he did a piece of research he looked at an app for rugby players to help them with their mental health and what he found was that they talked to this app quite happily they even then sort of built a community and around talking about how they used the app so it allowed them to sort of break the stigma around mental health and things like that and that led him into technology which eventually led him to his role as clinical director at big white wall so on the podcast we talk about all of that stuff we talk a little bit more about the business behind big white wall we talk about tim's personal motivators and he gives some awesome advice for any entrepreneur and clinician looking to break into technology mental health even sports psychiatry so I really enjoyed this podcast. Um, hope you guys do too. Um, and do get in touch um, at tag us on Twitter at HS Venture. Uh, leave a comment on one of our Instagram posts at hs.ventures. So enjoy the podcast and get in touch. So, Tim, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. No problem at all. Looking forward to it. Um, so, Tim, I guess for the benefit of our listeners, I know that we, you and I have had a quick conversation um, previously. We have told me a little bit about your background, which is pretty awesome. So for our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah, so, well, I have recently joined the Big White Wall as a clinical director, which is really exciting. Uh, prior to this, and in fact, uh, ongoing. I also work as a consultant sports psychiatrist. So uh, that, that's a fairly niche area. There's not many people who, who do that because there's, uh, it's a fairly small area of work. However, it's focused on the mental health of elite athletes. So lots of my work involves spending time helping, supporting, assessing or treating Olympic, uh, Paralympic uh, athletes. Premier League uh, footballers uh, and, and actually many other kinds of athletes across sport, whether it be rugby, cricket, horse racing, snooker, uh, you name it. Uh, there's, a, there's a surprisingly wide range. And I think um, sometimes people think that the life of an elite athlete is, is all about glitter and success and, and adulation. Uh, however, 
certain sports uh, in particular have a, a much higher incidence of, of mental health problems and there are lots of reasons for that including the, the kind of culture that can sometimes develop in teams and between coaches uh, the intense pressure that athletes live under and, and sometimes the additional life events that they undergo and, and often that happens earlier in life than it does for, for other people and we know that I suppose we all know that, that the stigma about mental ill health is fairly universal. But for athletes, that's even more so. Um, that can be because of their media profile, uh, perhaps the risk of them not being selected or their transfer value changing if, if, if it's known that they've had a problem. And athletes often feel greater pressure to be seen to show stamina or strength. And sometimes they've been told by people that they should have grit and they should push through and keep going, whatever. Uh, and, and sometimes it's harder for them to feel like they've shown weakness by saying that you know, everything's not okay. And, and for that reason, the, the reality is that athletes, despite their profile and sometimes despite their resources, less often get the help and support that they need than, than other, other people who, who don't uh, perform in that area. And very, very occasionally there are some sort of high profile tragic events where uh, manager or player uh, takes their own life and I suppose for, for that for that reason uh, this area of this very small uh, area of, of healthcare has, has grown a lot I would say in the last few years so there is a, uh, a government action plan on mental health of athletes and also uh, there are some other key uh, key turning points such as uh, Tanny Gray Thompson's report into the duty of care in sports uh, and I think that it, for, that, for the reasons I, I suppose I've just spoken about, it's really important to find uh, the right way to a have prevention in place to make cultures healthy for athletes, and also to to reach those people when they when they really need it. And often that has to be uh, in a non, an anonymous way or, or in a highly sort of confidential way. I think that's really interesting. There's a couple of bits that that really strike me there that I've, I guess I've not really thought about before. In that, yeah, it's quite a small part of the the, the field, I guess. You know, the elite athletes and things, but there's just a huge range of issues. It's it's everything that the normal person would face, but it's almost magnified by their media presence and the fact that it affects their job and their livelihood. But also, they must all be relatively young right and I, I suppose especially I mean you talk about elite athletes but actually the layer below that of people trying to become elite athletes that perhaps you know don't have the same if you can call it a luxury of, of a transfer value changing within the millions but the people perhaps at those lower leagues and lower levels that are actually trying to break into that the the pressures must must just be even even more so that, that's right and so if, if we take football as an example there are thousands and thousands of young people who are in uh, academies up and down the country and of course the vast majority of those junior athletes on a, on a pathway program won't probably make uh, make it at the level that they that they would like to and I think one of the one of the key things to understand about why that's such a problem for their mental health is is because of this issue of, of identity and so if you're a uh, talented or, or gifted athlete in fact if you're gifted in a niche area in, in sometimes in, in music or, or, or other kinds of performance but, but in my bit of work it's about athletes your identity and your sense of who you are and the things that make you feel uh, I suppose confident and, and uh, 
an idea of self-worth is really tightly bound up in in being that person and and so the problem is that that athletes careers are are, are often short and and so if, if you're a teenage athlete that that is intensely invested in in succeeding in that way and you lose that very early or even if you do succeed uh, but then you have a, a an early injury or you have to retire before you choose to and to be honest, even if you have a fantastic career, even if you win a gold medal somewhere, uh, and uh, you know the, the period after that, when you're no longer an athlete and you've, you've lost that bit of yourself is, is, is often really, uh, really extremely difficult for them to, to come to terms with and, and, and transition through. Yeah, and you do hear that a lot, don't you? I think it was the Colin McGregor might be the the latest one that I've heard that, that really struggled after he stopped. And yeah, I mean, there's a... It, it seems like a relatively new thing, sports psychiatry, um, in the grand scheme of things. And there's, you know, a couple of famous examples that, that I've seen that, that have brought it to my mind. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan being one in, in the snooker world, you know, started acting out, really struggling to perform. And it was a sports psychologist that, that really turned him around. And I, I think the other one that I heard was the, the England football players and just the, the whole stigma around, well, not stigma, but the whole difficulty around them taking penalties and the pressure from, from the whole country. And it was part of the, the, the new strategy, I guess, to really put a sports psychologist and psychiatrist and all, all of that field really front and center to really help those players that it wasn't simply just a, a physical issue and, and a technical issue. That's right. And, and the, the work that was done with England football last year, and actually, which is going on right now with, with the Lionesses, so it's really exciting that uh, England, England are about to go to another World Cup in a, in a month or two. Um, but that, that work was really interesting because that, that, that work was different. In the past, I think, to explain what I mean, perhaps, perhaps there's been a predominant view that psychology and performance psychology is very much an individual thing that you sit down with 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 somebody and you think about what makes them uh, what motivates them or what their goals are or, or how they deal with uh, clutch moments yeah. but, but in terms of the work that's gone on with England it's much more about the culture of of the team what their environment's like uh, what each individual person has to do to be just set free to to perform in the way that they they can and so it's much more a kind of a, a I suppose a, a, an intervention in their environment uh, than than an individual kind of thing, and and we saw that that was really really successful. I think that was done very very well. So yeah, it's an interesting piece of work. Yeah, it is it is really interesting, and obviously that's the that's the the better side of it when you're trying to go from good to great rather than the side of it that you mentioned before about, you know, really helping the people with, with more of the mental health issue side of things. So I guess moving on to, to more of that then. So I, I think I remember from our last call that you did some research, didn't you, with rugby players? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I've done various bits of research, but, but one of the really interesting bits of research that I did was with uh, an, an, an academy team of elite female rugby players who went on to, to become internationals, many of them. And we used an app, uh, which was a, a resilience app, which had various bits of learning inside it, whether relating to sleep or goal setting or confidence and many of the other things that, that make up, I, I suppose, support to make people more resilient. And we gave that app to these uh, late teenage rugby players. and and. I think we know that uh, 
that the reach of technology in, in healthcare is obvious because I think everybody is aware that often our, our smartphone is the last thing that we put down at night and it's the first thing sometimes that we pick up in the morning. Uh, but, but there were some other findings that I found quite startling and, and when we uh, looked at the responses that we got, we, we found very frequently that the players tended to disclose more to their app or, or to be more candid and, and uh, open with their app than they were in person, either to their coach or to their teammates. And for me, that was a really revelatory thing because if you have, if you have the reach of technology where everybody's using it and you have the potential that people interact with that in a different way or maybe even a better way than they do for face-to-face interaction, then that's, to, to, to me, opened my eyes a lot. And the other thing that was really interesting about that from the perspective of thinking about the culture of a team and, and, the, and, and the environment that high performers are in is that anonymously using their app in, on their, in their own time, you know, when they got up in the morning or when they were just about to fall asleep, led to different conversations in the changing room the next day. So they, they often reported that they would sit down and you'd say, hello, how are you doing? How was your, how was your day? And they say, oh, have you done your, have you done your app yet? Uh, and someone would say, oh, no, I haven't. Um, what are you doing on yours? And someone would say, well, I've, I've decided to do the sleep thing. And that really helped me because I, after that match, I got a really bad night's sleep. But then I learned this and I learned that. And, and I suppose it began conversations about well-being uh, that, that perhaps might not have happened in that environment where you know, everybody wants to be seen as strong and, and fit and ready for the next game. And, and, and I thought that was really, really interesting in terms of how you might develop that uh, to, to sort of go alongside other uh, human interventions for psychology and mental health. So I agree that is really interesting. I think that the bits that stick out for me there are, on one hand, it is going back to that individual preference in, in a lot of ways because those athletes might have very similar personalities so, so that they, they lean towards this a bit more, but they as individuals were much happier talking to an app more so than people. Um, so I think that's a really just interesting point because for me, for me personally, I'd much rather speak to a person, but actually for them, perhaps so many different factors about anonymity that you mentioned means that they're so much more comfortable talking to, to technology, which seems to have then bred a change in culture because as you say, they've ended up sort of building a community around having those individual interactions with technology, mm-hmm. but then that kind of normalizes it and it makes it okay. And so they've then built their own sort of community around that technology and how they're interacting with it. So they've almost built a support network via technology, if I got that right. Yeah, I think that, that's true. And, and I, I, I'm not sure it, it's that they preferred to, to use the app, but I, I think maybe the way that I would look at it is that, is that the app facilitated just a much earlier conversation. So to give you a for instance, mm. I, I would often see a, a rugby player who might be in the late stages of their career who would come in and we would have a long and, and, and detailed chat about all sorts of things. And, and it's not uncommon for them at the end of the chat to just say, look, can I tell you something? And they would say, look, I've, I've never told anybody any of this before. And, and, and that can seem really surprising. But, but I think for these players who were only teenagers, they were, I suppose, learning about the importance of, of thinking about really key things like confidence and 
relaxing and sleep and goals and I think it perhaps for them it just maybe maybe nudge them into having those conversations a, a bit more openly and a bit, a bit earlier than they might otherwise have done mm. and, and I, for me that's 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 the thing because I think once you once you learn how to confide and once you realize that that it is okay to say that you're not okay and that I suppose sometimes that actually to to say that you're having a problem is, is much more about being strong than being weak when you kind of learn these lessons uh, then suddenly it all becomes much easier and and uh, you can use you can use the support of other people and uh, you know be better in yourself I suppose mm, well absolutely and I think the other thing there as well, I suppose, with technology being an enabler for that early intervention is the fact that an app on your phone is 24-7. You know, if you're waking up in the night horrendously anxious about performing the next day or if you're, as you say, first thing you do when you wake up is then go straight to your phone or the last thing at night. You know, the fact that technology is always there, mm. it, it, that must be an enabler for that early intervention. That's it. I think I think certainly for an athlete that's a really powerful thing not least because they're sometimes on tour all, t- all around the world at different times of the day but actually i think for all of us and, that, and that's one of the great things about big white wall is that uh, it's available 24 hours a day and it's, it's it's moderated 24 hours a day as well so it's it's a safe community for people to to do some of these things and what a seamless segue into big white wall um so do you want to tell us a little bit more about that Yes, certainly. So um, Big White Wall is uh, an anonymous online platform and it supports people who uh, often have anxiety and depression, but actually have have many other conditions as well. It it works uh, on on the idea of sort of peer-to-peer support, so people helping other people. Um, We have had more than 100,000 registrations to date. And at the current time, I think we have about 5,000 new members logging on every month. Um, so we're, we're a mental health provider. We're, we're certified by the Care Quality Commission and commissioned by not just the NHS, but the Ministry of Defence, uh, private companies and something like 50 universities up and down uh, this country and, and actually in, in other countries as well. And we also, in addition to having us online peer-to-peer support community we have run something like 450 therapy sessions uh, every month for some time now wow so it seems like moving from what you did before and all that research with athletes it seems like as as i say much as you seamlessly segued in this podcast you seamlessly segued in your career to use a lot of the same um things that you're clearly passionate about and and love doing yeah i I think one, one of the things that really that really gripped me about Big Wall is the anonymous nature of it. So it has that same, that's that same unique, sort of helpful feature whereby you you're, you're not allowed to come onto the Big White Wall and and say who you are or where you are, uh, and and really the, the the model is 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 a lot about mm. about being able to say you're not okay or or realise that you're not alone. Uh, in an anonymous way, and and I think that's a really powerful thing, and and it helps Big White Wall work differently and work better to the other sort of sources of support that people have and in fact there are some interesting statistics about the number of people who come on the big white wall who don't have any other kind of support or who after coming on the big white wall don't then go on to use one-to-one face-to-face support such as their gp so talk me through it then so talk me through who this is 
for um, talk me through the kind of user journey of somebody that might use it and what they go through as how would they find you? What do they experience as they go through it? How is it that they get help? Talk me through a kind of a typical user journey. Yeah, well, uh, there, there are lots of parts to the big white wall, and I think not everybody's journey is the same. So, so obviously, as we've mentioned, uh, uh, one one part of the, of the tech is the ability, ability to do uh, digital therapy. So, so it's real therapy, the same as as you might have face to face, but it's provided by video, and that means that you can do it earlier in the morning or later at night than you might otherwise be able to. And it also means you can do it in the comfort of your own home. So that, and that might be useful, not just for, for athletes, but for someone who, for example, might have a disability or who um, might work from home or, or might have other you know, busy parts of their schedule. Uh, but the, the other side of the, of the, of the tech is, is the community. So that's, that's thousands and thousands of people who uh, are, are online and they're, there are lots of different ways in which they can interact with each other. They can just post or they can talk in groups, how we call that, talk about. And there, and there are some other clever ways in which they, they do that. And I suppose in between, in between those two things sits a big library of learning and, and information so, so that you can actually, I suppose, understand a bit more about your condition or uh, you can also take, take a variety of different tests. So, People often choose to take uh, screening or diagnostic tests that in relation to things like depression or anxiety or trauma or whatever it is you might be experiencing. And, and so I think it's, a, it's a sort of quite a wide-ranging uh, wide thing you do. And, and all of this uh, at all times is, is moderated by what we call wall guides. And so they're qualified therapists who... I suppose have the ability to intervene if there's somebody who's not safe and those wall guides are supported by some really clever technology inside big white wall that that can I, I suppose help us identify people who are at risk or who need more support than others and also to to point them towards the, the test that might be helpful for them or the learning that might be helpful for them inside the site so all in all it's quite an impressive thing to mm. Yeah, and, and yeah, I suppose at its at its core, you know, it's re it's relatively simple tech in in a lot of ways. Um, and the sort of the front door of it is it's delivering that therapy, so it's adding that direct value. So you know, similar to people that've been on this podcast before, like Sleepio or Smoke Free, you know, the tech doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs to solve a problem, and that obviously gets the people through the door. But then you've got this element of the technology enabling people to essentially care for themselves and care for each other. You know, they can, they can learn about their condition and they can learn, I guess, through similar things to CBT, they, they can learn better ways to, to cope with their thoughts and, and retrain their thoughts and things. But as you say, this community element's really interesting. Is the community element an online community only do you see any examples of that spilling over into sort of the real world so to speak so yeah i think that you, you've hit on exactly the the right point i think i think that one of the main things to understand about what big white wall is is that it is much more than a piece of tech or a uh, a, a website or an app it, it, it's this community of people and, and really the, the technology is just a facilitator to bring them 
together. And we know that, I suppose, we know for, for, for years and years and years that there are lots of examples of the way in which peer-to-peer -peer support can be the best treatment available, for example, in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or Gamblers Anonymous. Um, you know, that's, but, but Big World allows some of those kinds of interactions to happen on, online. And in answer to your question, no, it's not intended to, to spill over into real face-to-face -face contact. In fact, the, you know, as I said, the actual, the, one of the most important things about it is that it's completely anonymous and, and we work hard to make sure that that anonymity is, is, is uh, to remain nice and secure. And that's a good example, actually, of the thinking, the way round that we like to see it done at HS when people are thinking about starting companies. You know, it's, it's actually thinking, first of all, what problem are you trying to solve? And now, what tech do you actually need to go and solve that problem? You know, you guys haven't started with, oh, let's have this like super fancy platform that's got all these things and does all this stuff. You're just thinking, okay, so we know that anonymity is really important for people to disclose things. We know that tech being available 24-7 to these people can catch things early and provide that early intervention. So what do we actually need to do? Well, okay, let's have a front door where they can get therapy and care let's have you know more features in the back end that means they can learn to help themselves and and you know it's not as if you're needing to say oh and then we do ai this and computer vision that and and nanotechnology that you know it, it's you've quite simply just gone okay here's the problem we need to solve and, and now let's think about the tech we actually need to layer on top of that so i guess on that note then i mean what is the future of big white wall is it more of the same are you looking to bring on new features or technologies you know what problems are you going after um yeah tell me a little bit about that yeah well so it's uh, interesting and timely that you asked uh, because i think right now we're, we're in a, a period of taking stock and very soon uh, we're going to be launching all sorts of additional new technologies that are are going to come on and it, in fact the exact composition of those and which ones will be there and which ones won't is it's is probably going to become clear later this year and and so we need to understand which ones work best and we need to try those out i suppose um but yeah it's really really exciting to be clinical director at a time when that's happening and in terms of new new areas and, and, and new people Obviously, I come here as a as a sports psychiatrist, and we have lots of exciting meetings with different uh, sporting teams and sporting industries. Uh, and so, I, I can't say too much about that yet. Mm -hmm. I'm optimistic that 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 will happen too. And there, and there are lots of other areas as well in which which I, I foresee that the big one will can be helpful. And so, uh, to give you an example of that is is gambling. So, I always also mentioned already mentioned Gamblers Anonymous and uh, I know I think we all know that, that that there are lots of problem gamblers out there uh, Big White Wall is a, is a peer to peer community and and online gambling in particular it is somewhere where where problem gamblers can have real difficulty and 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 so that's a good example of a, of a potential fit between Big White Wall and uh, like a, a new area of, of support that we're that we're not currently, or, or, or at least there may be people in the community who, who do have gambling problems, but I suppose explicitly we're, we're not yet in that space. Cool. 
So I just want to talk about this from a business perspective as well, because it's interesting that you're going after these different spaces and doing these different things, but I'm intrigued. How does this make money? Because obviously to, to create the most amount of impact, we need the most amount of scale. And in order to do that, we actually need to grow a sustainable business that can, you know, pull money in and grow and help more people and things. So how does Big White Wall work from a business perspective? Yeah, well, um, I, I suppose I'm the clinical director, so I, I, I'll answer that question as best as I can. But I think <laughs> what I would say is that, that technology must be part of the solution to help alleviate the mental health crisis that we have. And, and I think we know that there's just they're, they're so much need out there that it's very, very difficult to train and provide and pay for enough people to meet that need. And if we think about IAPT, which is the government's, the NHS, uh, long-standing initiative to, to improve people's access to psychological therapies, we know that a proportion of, of people who have a, a diagnosis or a need who actually get that is very, very small. You know, so down in the kind of one in five people might, might get IAPT when they, they need it. And, and on the other side of the, the screen, we know that I think something like 38 million adults access the internet every day and people spend hours and hours online each week. Uh, and so I think one of the really useful things about Big, War, Big White Wall and, and in particular, I suppose, its uh, ability to function as a business is, is that it's a scalable technology. So it, it, it doesn't, necessarily, uh, doesn't necessarily need to have one therapist for every one person that we support. So uh, instead of a kind of that one-to-one model, we're thinking about a one-to-many model. And, um, and, and, and particularly the, the, the guided learning and the, the, the online community is, is a scalable thing. So we can use technology to allow that to reach a much larger number of, of people and perhaps fill that enormous gap uh, of, of provision I think the scale thing is really important. Um, it strikes me again that with mental health issues, that the place that we're in in the world and the time that we're in in the world, it seems like there's just an ever-increasing and will be an ever-increasing demand for mental health services. You know, we seemingly don't seem to be living the way that we should do as human beings at the moment. Um, and I only see an increase in, in the demand. But as you say, this has to be a scalable solution in mental health. So technology has to be contributing. It, it really does. And, and as many one-to-many models that we can have through technology, the better, in my opinion, particularly those that can pick up things early and help um, treat and care as well. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it just strikes me that, that it's not, it's not a, a nice to have anymore. It's actually an essential. I think so, yeah. And, and we know from studies of, of prevalence of mental health problems that, that, that rates of mental health are rising and, and not just because of people being less stigmatized about it and reporting it more. We know that real rates are, are rising. And, and there, are lots of, there are lots of discussions about why that might be. And in fact, you know, one of those discussions is about whether technology might play a part in that. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, we know particularly for young people, perhaps young, young women uh, on social media, it, it, it's not uh, a helpful thing for their mental health often to see a kind of highlight reel of, 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 of other people's nice photographs on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It makes people make negative comparisons about them, themselves or feel more alone. And I suppose one of the 
the, the good things about the big white wall is, is that where there's increasing scientific evidence that tech might be bad in that sense, that big white wall is, is the opposite, I suppose, it's this intention to, to have tech for good. And that's the thing, isn't it? You know, the, the jury is out, you know, is, is tech overall good or bad? And different people tell you different things, but I think it's quite clear that it's going nowhere. Um, technology is ever on the increase. So as many things that we can do to help through technology, the better, which is why things like Big White Wall are so important, I think. So I guess moving on a little bit then, I guess to some some of the more personal motivators for you. I mean, what what gets you out of bed in the morning to go into work at Big White Wall or to work on this particular thing with mental health? You know, where do your kind of internal motivators come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think I, actually, uh, I think at the outset of my career, I probably didn't spend enough time understanding what those were. I think I think you know when I left school and went to university. I was just sort of uh, doing that because that's what people did and that's what my peers were doing. And really, I suppose uh, it's only since working with athletes and learning about the psychology of performance and that, that I understand more about how important it is to know what motivates you and to know what what aspects of your drive to do something come from within you because they're the sort of healthy ones and they're the ones that you can sustain over a long period. Uh, and, and really, I suppose, to cast aside the, the motivators, if I, you know, where it's possible that are external, you know, so that things like, you know, whether, whether money or sort of, you know, the perception of success, you know, I, I know that from my work with athletes that those things are not sustainable motivators. And uh, the big white wall is, is, is really nice. I, I think it's, you know, working here, it's, it's obvious that there are a series of shared values that, that people have uh, in terms of you know, wanting to, to help and wanting to, to be here because it's, uh, I suppose, a good thing that we're doing. That we're doing. And, and certainly that, that's, that's also true for, for, for sport, for me as well, personally. Mm. I've always been passionate about sport. I love, I love playing sport and, and I've certainly used, used that in my own time for fun. And so it's nice to combine, I suppose, that, that, that passion I've always had with, with sort of helping mm. people who are in the sport industry, who, who are struggling and I suppose using, using the skills that I have to, to, you know, to a population that I, that I suppose feel, uh, feel a, a bond with. And for people looking at their career and looking for next moves and things, I'm sure a few people will be interested to know what does your day to day look like as the clinical director of a mental health tech startup? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, so my, my career is a, is a portfolio career and, uh, and I think it hasn't always been that way, uh, but it's been really sort of liberating to gradually move into my day-to-day -day being like that. So, so definitely I would do different things each day. Uh, so sometimes I might be uh, here in, in the Big White Wall offices. Big White Wall being a, a tech company, I, I can also work uh, in re remotely, which is really nice for me to be able to fit that around the other commitments I have. But in, in terms of sport, uh, I might one day be uh, at, at my clinic, which is at Cognacity, where I see athletes. Equally, I might be going to talk or, or speak or take part in panels or teaching. Uh, and sometimes uh, it might be that I would be sort of on site. So I might be uh, in, 
you know, in, in, the, in the last few months, I've been at various different sporting venues, whether you know, St George's Park, uh, where, they, where the England team train, or or other things like that. So, so that variety is is is, is really nice. It sounds awesome. You've just made it sound so cool. A life of doing something different every day, talking and speaking and, and seeing professional athletes. You must, you must enjoy yourself week to week. Uh, yeah, I do. I, 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 I'm, very, I'm very grateful for that. You know, I'm very uh, fortunate to, to have the opportunities that, that, that I have. And so I think, that, you, know, uh, you know, I know that gratitude too is really important to, to to sort of sustain yourself when you're working hard. Uh, so yeah, I, I am, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've had. So what advice would you have then for other medics, peak clinicians, you know, be those psychiatrists or psychologists looking to get involved in kind of tech and mental health? Yeah. So, 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 so advice for psychiatrists looking to be involved in tech, uh, I suppose, I, I think, one of the bits of, of, of advice I'd say is it's definitely worth you taking some time to just reflect on what you really enjoy and, and to, to go for that because, because we, we spoke about goals and motivators and, and the internal motivators and your own values being the sort of the most sustainable and, and, the, and the healthiest ones. And so I, I suppose self-awareness in that, in that sense, just knowing what you like and, and, and what you can sustain yourself doing is really important. And, and, then, and then I think I'd say, once you, you have a clear idea about that, to, to, to go for it. And, and also sometimes I think in the NHS, uh, you know, in the NHS, as I was, I worked in the NHS for a long time. And I think your career structure can be very fixed because as a trainee, you go through certain stages and, and hurdles that you have to jump certain examinations and professional qualifications and registrations are you have to have those uh, but but then I, th- I think when you when you qualify and you become a, a, a senior clinician or senior worker whether you be a medical person or a psychologist or something else I think that's when you know you have the opportunity to be more flexible and and I, I think you know it's always possible to have conversations with your line manager or your your own clinical director or bosses about what you what you like doing and 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 about the ways in which you can uh, i suppose squeeze in those those other things into into your into your day and 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 then i suppose the other thing is 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 make connections find out the other people in your field who who are also passionate about the things that you like and make connections with them go meet them uh, and uh, shadow them if you need to or go along to hear them speak ask them where they work, how they work. And, and I think that way, sometimes opportunities just come about because uh, people, I think if, if you share an interest, then people often are open to involving you in what they're doing, whether it's a research project or, or a, a piece of clinical work or a piece of academic work or teaching or, or management or leadership, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, so I think those would be my... Yeah, and all of those sorts of things can just open doors, can't they? And it tends to compound. The more of those things you get involved with, the more people you end up meeting that are in similar areas and you meet the same people again and get that shadowy opportunity and things. That does resonate with me quite a lot, you know, especially this idea that you actually have to step away from that conveyor belt of clinical training to actually get that time to reflect. Um, I think that's a really important point. I mean, the way that I did it actually in a similar way, I guess, was I took, you know, a couple of fellowship years, which means, you know, it was somewhat a bit more of a nine to five than, than the clinical years. And so there's this perception that I had so much more time and actually, you know, a lot of evenings and, and actual weekends to, 
to sit and think about what I actually wanted. And that led, you know, led me to getting involved with more innovation stuff. But again, you know, the hustle doesn't stop, as you say. I mean, that's another really important point. You know, once you identify um, your why and your truth and, you know, what you actually want to do is then about hustling. And, And as you say, you know, building those connections and things and, and trying to do that. Was that a similar thing for you then to get into sports psychiatry? Because my um, assumption there is that within psychiatry, that must be quite a competitive thing to get into. I'm sure there are probably psychiatrists listening that just think, well, that's quite cool, or particularly, you know, medical students or young doctors that might be thinking of that. So what would your advice be to get into sports psychiatry? Uh, well, I, I think uh, you know we we welcome uh, anybody who's interested to to come and meet us and say hello. We, we have a, a group of psychiatrists who work in elite sport at the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Uh, so it's called uh, the acronym is SEPSIC, so the uh, Sport and Exercise Psychiatry Special Interest Group, and we uh, meet uh, at least twice a year, and we meet often in the sort of sporting venues. Uh, we, we we often meet at the Institute of Sport and Exercise Health in London or otherwise our, our last meeting was up in Manchester the Manchester Institute of Health and Performance and that's that's often a really uh, interesting day for those people who who are interested in their psychiatry and of, of sport and exercise uh, so yeah I'd say come along join join our SIG and if, if you're interested in that we you know we'd be really pleased to to hear from you and and to have you involved that sounds awesome. I might come down. <laughs> um, Tim, I mean, this has been great. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I've actually learned quite a lot, particularly about the sport of psychology, a psychiatry side of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, the stuff that you're doing big, big white wall sounds amazing. So yeah, if you could, um, one more question that I've got is I kind of want to end this on, on quite a positive note. So what do you see, um, the future as so sort of paint a picture of i don't know five years ten years where we've reached you know a bit, a bit more of a digital nirvana than we're in at the moment with with technology and perhaps we're, we're using it more for good than we are for bad on our on our mental health what do you think that that actually looks like you can say perhaps from a sports perspective or even you know with your big white wall hat on um what does that look like for for young people or anybody indeed with mental health issues yeah that's, I mean, that's a big question i, I suppose i i, I would this is more of your opinion. I'm not asking you to predict the future. <laughs> tell me what, tell me what the, the, the best case scenario would be in, in, in your view. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have, I have answers for, for both. I mean, I, it, it, I suppose to begin with the sport, that, that's changing a lot. I, I think more and more each day we see uh, elite athletes coming out and, and talking about their problems. And I think the more that, that pathway athletes and other people who are suffering see that it, it's not weak to come out and say that you have a problem and, and understand that they're not alone uh, then the, the more that they're able to seek help and, and you only have to go on the you know, BBC website and you can see a whole range of people I was recently reading Elise Christie's uh, you know uh, really brave sharing uh, and and so so I think I suppose that's my hope for for sport that, that gradually over time that, that the stigma continues to get less and less and also that the, the access to, to care and support in in sport increases and and that might mean that there are more opportunities for, for people who are interested to work in that field to come and do it and in terms of big white wall I, I think we would really like to 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 grow and we would really like to to provide. The benefits of what we do to more people to have more people understand how helpful it is 
uh, and that includes not just in, in in the sport industry but other other areas too so so we, we work with a lot of students and we know that exam stress is a really really difficult thing to to take on board particularly when you're at an age when we know that the risk of common mental health disorders is at its highest and so big world will provide that you know, gives a lot of support to to students and i think there are there are lots of useful bits of learning that you can take from one area of health to another so you know the learning that we have about about athletes for example can be applied in the same way to students who are under pressure to take exams and uh, and also for for people in business who, who are performing under pressure and also to be quite honest but you know, and I think the big world doesn't discriminate in terms of who who uses it. It's uh, it's an anonymous platform, and uh, all all parts of, of society you know are are welcome there. I think that's a great message. I think particularly the bit about decreasing the stigma. You know, it's one of the things that I think next in the next couple of weeks i'm releasing a couple of articles on forbes about this to really try and open up that conversation to get more people talking about this because as you say the more that we can decrease the stigma the more that people will talk the more that then the stigma then the stigma decreases and actually um that early intervention bit that as many things as we can do to to get us towards there the better um so Tim, great. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, the way that we end these podcasts is I hand back over to yourself just to summarize a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're up to with sports psychology and Big White Wall and just uh, close us out with any asks that you've got of our audience. Yeah, so well, it's been fantastic to be here. It's, I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. So yeah, great to, to, to meet you in this way. Uh, it's fantastic to talk about the, the things that we did and whether mental health of athletes and, and the way that that's changing or also uh, the, the, the work that the Big White Wall does. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, the challenge that I've just taken on and um, and, the, and the things that are going to develop in the Big White Wall, whether whether it's the, the new tech that we have coming on board or whether it's growing and expanding the, the reach that we have. And anybody who's interested uh, in, in knowing more about the Big White Wall, you could email us at the team at bigwhitewall.com dot com and our website is www.bigwhitewall.co.uk